Well, hello and welcome back to episode 64 of What We're Listening To, a show where we chat about what's been in our ears and uh, challenge each other to listen to new and different things. Uh, I am Asher and with me, as always, is my good friend Josh. Everything is now post-punk short. How are you doing? <laughs> it's unfortunately true. <laughs> hey, this new band is doing some really interesting things. What do we call it? Post-punk. Yeah, that as a genre that has lost all meaning, which is interesting in of itself. Uh, it's like indie. I, yeah, it really is. It's just alternative rock music. It's not just post-punk. Used in England. Um, but I'm doing very well, sir. I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. That's great. Um, do you have any follow-up? I have one item. Um, I've got a tiny bit. Um, Go. Mostly that, like, the the Super Violet album we talked about last time. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. That's just kind of stayed in rotation on and off, and I've been really enjoying it more and more. Um, That's great. It's just it really, was really pretty. Yeah, I'm yeah. really enjoying it. Um, other than that, it's just kind of a piece of news, um, which is the death of the singer Tony Bennett. I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I actually missed that. Yeah, famous jazz singer. I think he was 93 years old. Um, mm. Kind of one of the last kind of great guys from that generation because he's been singing for almost like 80 years at this point. Um, mm. I actually managed to see him at the Jazz oh, wow. Fest in Vancouver in high school. And he did a, yeah, like every single song, like almost finished with the same kind of like, you know, the big kind of jazz flourish <laughs> that like those songs kind of do. It was like an hour and a half of like every song kind of finishing the same way. <laughs> it was great. So That's to, cool. Sad to see him go. He's kind of a great legacy for Tony Bennett. Yeah, I must confess I've never really listened to his music, but I know who he is and have probably inevitably heard um, heard some of his stuff without realizing it. Yeah. Like on jazz I mean, it, it's the same kind of like classic American songbook kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's sad. How about you, mate? Do you have any catch-up? Yeah, yeah. So I have one that will delight you, which is um, a bit typical of my a la Dijon. Um, I got really back into John Francis Flynn uh, over the past few weeks and um, picked up I I Will Not Love Always. Is that the name of the album? Yeah. On Bandcamp. And I've just loved it. I just, I will not live always. Yeah. It's just a beautiful, beautiful record. And more and more, I just find his, uh, actually, I haven't looked and listened to some of his other stuff. Is this his debut? Yeah, this is his debut. Right. Yeah. I'm just like, it's just brilliant. You know, you've got the mixture of the two songs that are real standouts are things like Shallow Brown and Come My Little Son, where he manages to do these, I've probably said it before, sprawling really long pieces without getting boring at all mm. like it's even though there's repetition there's something really live about his voice i don't know it's just it reminds me a little of uh, o comely from neutral milk yeah. another long song which kind of has that same slow um 
you know, gripping sort of narrative to it. So, yeah. And I mean, the whole, you know, the whole album is brilliant. It's just so good. So anyway, I just wanted to <laughs> remind listeners that if you haven't listened to this album, um, please do check it out. Yeah. That'd yeah. be great. I, it's, oh, it's, hey. Yeah. Sorry. Go for it. No, no. Go. You go. Go. I, it's just a fantastic, like, autumnal kind of album um, to listen to. And yeah, yeah, it's cold here, so I feel like that's been really working for me. <laughs> Those two songs in particular off the album, I would say, are probably the most close to their traditional origins. Um, hmm. well, I mean, they're kind of stripped back, so that's not that hard to kind of equate to, but they are, yeah. Yeah. In particular, yeah. Um, the last one, Come Me a Little Sun, is a, is a very famous Luke Kelly piece, which I also love, kind of the kind of. It's really, really beautiful and and very meaningful too. Like he's chosen songs which have beautiful kind of themes as well. So, yeah, I still love the like really uh, modern stuff like the part one, two, three of Bring Me Home is like really interesting and lovely Joan is is amazing. So anyway, anyway, yeah. Um, hey, I just remembered I didn't do a quiz. I've got this quiz for you. I, didn't I thought I was going to escape. <laughs> but it, no, no, no. It's not that I didn't prepare. I just I got it out of order. <laughs> okay, this is related, related a little bit uh, because it's about the UK. Um, okay, so quiz. Which UK band was the first group signed by Beatles' Apple label? Oh, I, I just thought I'd bring you one. I just was looking up some obscure quiz. Um, So there's four options. Okay. One, Pentangle. Two, Atomic Rooster. Three, Badfinger. Or four, Led Zeppelin. (laughs) A 25% chance, man. I don't think it's Zeppelin. Oh you are correct. It's not. Oh I'll narrow it down for you. Thirty-three percent now. Because I think Zeppelin's a parlophone. Um, gosh. Do you know some of these bands? I've heard of Badfinger before. I haven't heard of the other two, <laughs> which means they're probably just like inventions of like George Harrison on like a bad day, and then he gave up on them or something like that. <laughs> I, yeah, I got no clue, man. I would have said like the okay. wings or something like that. Okay, so apparently it is Badfinger. Oh. So they are a Welsh, they're Welsh pop performers from 1970s. Um, they were the first to record for the Beatles' Apple label. So anyway, I just, I wasn't, I didn't have a connection of something and I was like, oh, what's a what's an interesting piece of music trivia that Josh might know? That's so bizarre. Yeah, I, I've never heard of them, so I will check them out too. But I thought you might know a little bit about Welsh pop music in the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, sorry, random out-of-order stuff. <laughs> um, if we don't have any more follow-up, should we head into our reviews? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, let's go. So I've been texting Josh back and forth. I'm in a really foggy mood when it comes to music at the moment. Josh, I think your text said you wanted some album to shake me out of it. Yeah. Um, but I will not be shaken just yet. So sorry. Um, 
I have been listening to, surprise, surprise, another long ambient album with like tape sort of simulation or real stuff. Um, there's an ambient label I follow called Past Inside the Present. They've released a lot of stuff that I really enjoy by Hotel Neon. Um, I spoke about Cat Tyson Hughes a few weeks back as she was on their label. And I was just hunting through and I saw this album cover with a a cassette tape loop on top of a piece <laughs> of sheet music. And I was like, mm. <laughs> uh, And it's called Repetition Hymns. It's by a band called Black Swan, who I don't really know much about, except that they're from New York. Now, I have, yeah, like I was saying, been in a bit of a foggy mood and just enjoying long, expansive, um, textured sounds this winter. So I'm not going to go deeply into who this art it, artist is, only to comment just a little bit on what I like about this particular release. Mm. Um, they're short songs. There's 22 tracks on this, which is quite long for, like quite a large number of tracks for an ambient album. Usually they're short and long, uh, short track listing and long tracks. So this is kind of interesting, like it's broken up into these little vignettes of fuzzy tape sort of orchestral feeling stuff. Some of them are quite moody. Some of them are quite beautiful. Like it swings back and forth between these major and dark minor sounding pieces. Um, the, <clears throat> the title's interesting, Repetition Hymns. Like it's a little bit similar to the Disintegration Loops by um, Will Bizanz- oh, How do you say his name? Zansky, you know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, William uh, Bazinski, who is quite a famous um, ambient artist. Uh, it's it's akin to like Dino Spilatini's earlier work, which is really heavily tape affected, saturated. Um, yeah, I've just had this on rotation for quite a few weeks now. Um, coming in and out of it, and I, I really love it. It's um, it's not very random though. It's not just kind of like ambient sort of playlist stuff. It, it has some parts which are quite memorable as well, and I like that. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah. Did you get to listen to any of the tracks? <laughs> yeah, I gave it a once go through. Um, oh, nice. Thank you. It is eighty minutes long. Um, yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is long. Yeah, I, I, I think the first kind of third stuck out to me the most, um, uh-huh. and probably because that was the most. Uh, what's the word? Like, it, 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 like positive feeling of the mix. Yeah. Um Like a lot of the times, ambient music can have this aspect of like broodingness towards it, especially with some of the more famous bands. Um, mm. They like to have these kind of big structured kind of dark passages. And it was nice to have kind of, as you said, shorter songs that were more major focused. And it kind of gave me, I don't know, it was a, it was a different, um, it was a different experience listening to those for the first time kind of thing. Um, yeah. 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 It's, I, I know that like, it's funny, you know, everything is post-punk, everything is ambient, like yeah. ambient gets a little bit like, yeah. um, 
a little bit flat as a genre. Um, and I'm not, it's interesting. Like I'm not saying that I always, you know, listen to every ambient release because it's like, suit like there's a lot of integrity in everything that's done like part of it is i find ambient music really relaxing and i like i like listening to it while i work it's it's different than just like having white noise and you know it's different than soundscapes like there's there's like a small compositional element and like it's really interesting i've i over the past few weeks, I borrowed my uh, brother-in-law's um, like field recorder, and I was recording some like stuff out and about. And there's like a really fine line between like just recording field sounds and like <laughs> layering on like a tiny bit of composition. Like it's just interesting. You know, you wonder how little intervention you can have before it no longer is music. Yeah, yeah. and obviously it can go the other direction. You have like neoclassical pieces, which are very, you know, intentional and composed, but still use these more ambient yeah, yeah. elements in them still. Yeah. And I just, I, I know you, um, I've just almost finished re-listening to Everywhere at the End of Time, um, the Caretaker album, which is a different kind of ambient. I wouldn't, almost call that ambient it's kind of like sound collage um but yeah i've just been in this real fuzzy fuzzy mood and it's great <laughs> i'll get out of there when there's like you know you said august there's a lot of releases coming up so yeah. you know slow dive will come out and we'll we'll move on <laughs> i'm just gonna put like a, a warning peg in my like my board of like if ash is listening to the degrading <laughs> Like it's winter in Australia. Winter. Watch out! <laughs> he's listening to all the right, Caretaker right. album again. He's he needs a, he needs yeah. a <laughs> Anyway, I've droned on enough. Let's let's hear about something a completely different. Some post punk, Josh. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I don't know if I'd call these guys post punk, but I'm a stickler for genre. <laughs> That's the um, joke. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. The joke. Uh, so I've been listening to a release from a New York band of young guys called Geese, um, mm. not to be confused with cover. a jam band called Goose, uh, which is also existing. Um, yeah, so this is their second album called 3D Country. Um, their first album when it came out a couple of years ago, I was like, not, it had some moments, but it wasn't quite all there and Mm -hmm. then they kind of stayed on my radar because they did a couple live covers of a um a nick drake song that i love so they're kind of like oh these guys are like a little more musically centered than i maybe thought they were um nick drake is in um uh, moon sorry uh pink moon yeah 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 that i would not have picked geese as covering Nick Drake. I know, right? They did a couple like live acoustic sessions in like different stores around New York doing Nick Drake songs. Wow. I was like, okay. Um, and then singles started coming up for this, and it was like a such a such a uh, a grow up of musicality. So I've been really mm. anticipating this album since the singles, and then it came out, and this album is so good. It's called Three D Country. Um, and in a in a weird, possibly xenophobic way, I'm really 
happy that there is a band in America that is like capable of making interesting music like this. <laughs> like, like we've been talking nonstop about like the UK and like England, this <clears throat> London, that, and then it's good yeah. to see that like there is life in the youth around the world, I guess. Um, well, sun locks, man. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's like a hugely ignorant statement, but I'm sticking to it. No, I know. You know, it's I get, I get. It's fine. Yeah. So I think uh, for me, this album kind of combines the best parts of like the Rolling Stones, maybe the Strokes, and then some more like '70s kind of jam band aspects. We have mm. like gospel singers in the background. Um, still the kind of guitar solos that are not too complicated or you know we talked about led zeppelin not like huge but they serve the (laughs) purpose that they need to and then there's a lot of attitude the singer the lead singer has a lot of attitude (laughs) and it um if he can get on board with that this album really works i think and for me It, it reminds me a little bit of um who is the punk rock loser guys again oh um viagra boys yeah is it a bit of a vibe of that like like similar like the i think in the last kind of decade the the act of being a front man has become less appealing to the to people um Mm. and i think you know rock music is in a bad place when that happens necessarily like there, there needs to be a bit of you know bravado and um kind of uh, what's the word like performance that goes along with being in front yeah. of a band um and these like these kids are young like the the geese guys are young and they're if they're already kind of doing this much effort and swagger i think they're in a good stead um <laughs> that's good yeah so uh this record is um like i don't like musically it's uh it's a it's kind of a musical journey of like a self-centered kind of cowboy so it's kind of this american you know gospel 70s rock and then um it transitions him on like a spiritual journey of like the the ego death of a cowboy basically as he like starts to empathize and learn how to see himself in other people and so the songs go from like super confident to super empathetic and the mm. kind of the music kind of tracks behind that. So every time there's like a major change in character, there are these like huge musical freak out moments. Um, mm. It's like they're in the first song. Yeah. So the, the first like the, weird drum part, <laughs> the first song really kicks it off with like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, it's a bit abrasive, but you need to kind of get past it. And then once you do that, the album kind of, picks you up and brings you along with it um so these transitions are pretty harsh but between them i think are these just beautiful songs they've been i mean it's summertime so they have perfect invitation mm. um yeah but i've been uh just absolutely loving this record through and through it's an album of the year contender for me personally um what so in relation to the story, what does the album cover mean? Like, is this this holocaust with a cowboy, like, like yeah. a nuclear it's bomb like a, going off? It's like this kind of like, there's, there's like two things behind it. Like, I'm not sure. Like, in terms of the character, this cowboy witnesses something that like sets him on a different path in life. Um, mm. 
But in terms of like as a theme, it's like this post-apocalyptic like Americana. Um, right. Like you can imagine this like guy pretending to be a cowboy in like a Cormac McCarthy novel. Like it doesn't really fit. Um, <laughs> oh man. And he's kind of like, road. It, yeah, it, it's like, like this weird cowboy man in the road. And you're like, what is this guy doing? And he's just kind right. of like dancing with like a rhinestone shirt on singing about like the good times. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. And it kind of like, it's, it's that kind of um, mixing of themes, which I think makes what, what the lyrics are quite interesting. And then the music kind of mm. elevates it after that for me. Yeah. It was, so I've only given the first part of the album a little bit of a listen, uh, which is better than I usually do. So <laughs> I'm giving myself credit, but no, I, I remember listening to Cowboy Nudes when you were chatting about that a few episodes back. Um, but I, I actually like, I don't love his voice. Like it's not the vibe that mm. I'm interested in at the moment, but I really liked the way they were twisting the genre of the rest of the sound or and also his voice like yeah you're right it's like this kind of almost yeah that kind of country feel like country rock on the voice but then you've got all these really weird production elements and strange switches and transitions in the music yeah um and there's they sound like they're really good players and they're really good writers and I can see why this is like an album of the year contender for you because it's it's really well put together. Yeah, but and it, yeah. and I, I guess in the, in the similar vein, it doesn't. It's not taking itself too seriously, which you know that I do love. Like there's a yes, bit of yes. um, tongue and cheek aspect to like, oh, this is America. This is like an idiot cowboy who's drunk in the desert kind of thing. Like it's like a little, yeah. it's a little bit of. Um, sarcasm there, which I am a sucker for, I will admit. Yeah. And it's different than like a Lord Huron, who kind of almost romanticizes the cowboy yeah. life. This is much more satirical. <laughs> like, which again is in line with what you like. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the shirts that they're selling at their gigs are like a cowboy, but he's getting like kicked off a horse kind of thing. He's getting like yeah. flung into the air. And that's kind of the vibe. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, so yeah, if if you need a good summer jam in the middle of winter mm. in Australia or some other time, I highly recommend 3D Country by Geese for sure. Yeah, I was jogging last night and listening to it and it was good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. Nice. Well, nice. shall we uh, move into some homework? Yes. Um, okay, so... We have mentioned this artist before. I've even mentioned this album before, but I thought it was special enough that I would force Astrid to give it a full listen and review. Um, <laughs> this is the third album from Highland Small Piper Breacha Campbell. Um, the album's called Carry Them With Us. And mm. uh, how to explain? It's like a cross section of. Uh, like modern ambient elements experimentation and then this kind of on top of it um this beautiful piping work um not quite reels not quite jigs but like something in between mm. and it forms this kind of beautiful soundscape and i um i love this 
artist and her music. And this album in particular, I think, is something quite special. Um, I often use it when I wake up in the morning to kind of like do a bit of quiet time, do a bit of reading, do a bit of meditation. And this album often comes on for me. Um, Mm. So I thought I'd give Asher a taste of the Highlands. What did you think about this record, sir? Well, you already know I think this is beautiful. I um I really like this album. <laughs> and in some ways it's it's funny to me that you really like some yeah. elements of this album. I like can, it's I um can. yeah, it's it's very experimental um at points and it's quite like it's not just so this is obviously not bagpipes. You said there were smaller pipes. Yeah, they're they're called Highland small pipes. They're much closer yeah. to their cousin the Irish bagpipes, so they're not um, rather than like the huge bag people associate mm. with regular pipes and the long stems. They're quite small and therefore have a higher uh, timber to them. Yeah, I was lit, uh, watching a, a video of her playing last night, and she's quite young. Yeah, and evidently, you know, I was thinking about like her approach. Like she has probably learnt these pipes since she was young, maybe. And she has kind of chosen this path of representing this, you know, very cultural instrument in a very unique way. And I love that. Like, I I love it when people present, you know, um, something quite traditional to their country in a different and new way. Mm. Um, And like this, this album felt a little bit like an album I talked about a while back called... um, Oh, it was a minimal, minimalistic album. Aksumi? Akusmi? I think. Do you remember me talking about this? Fleeting mm-hmm. Future? It's a minimalistic album with a lot of ostinatos and that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. It's fine if you don't. Um, because she brings in, like, saxophone and she has, like, effects on the instrument and, and she, like, it's got this minimalistic element to it at times. Like, it's not just... Um, a real, like you say, I don't really know how to like explain this album. It's beautifully short. I listened to it a bunch of times, like maybe four or five times mm. because it just kept repeating. Like I had it on loop and I just had it on in the background yesterday. Um, and it was just gorgeous. It, it's also, it's not too harsh, but it is harsh. Like it's not, um, it's not a pleasant, easy to listen to timbre but it is not like a bagpipe sort of reedy intensity. <laughs> um, and, yeah, yeah, she's got a beautiful voice and she's got these beautiful songs that she's written and it's just, it's fascinating to hear, yeah, the next generation of pipers and what they're writing. I must confess I don't listen to tons of piping. I know you you do listen to quite a bit of <laughs> Um, different piping and it's just fascinating like so I'm interested what what do you love about this in particular because (laughs) yeah like I said I wouldn't have picked you like this kind of thing yeah I mean I I do love um the more uh unique pipes so not like the mainstream Scottish bagpipes are um they're a bit like a bulldozer. Like they're hard to use uh, um, softly, tentatively. And I think 
you can be more creative with these other kind of non mainstream bagpipes. So I've like to hear this kind of um, very unique and a lost version maybe of the cousin kind of doing this weird stuff. It, yeah, I don't know. It it just kind of, um, is there something non earthly about it to me? Like, it's this really like a, you know, um, like hearing a fairy tale or something like that. It just kind of, it skip yeah. it skips that regular part of music listening for me. Um, yeah, maybe like, and like a romanticizes, drony. yeah, like drony, like you, you could like be on like a rock looking over the ocean, and like this music would kind of just like take you to the, the next place, you know. Um, mm. yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it either, to be honest with you. Um, no, that's fine. I just am curious, it's really interesting. I'm reading some of the notes here. Um, the Scottish small pipes with double note drones, um were in danger of falling to obscurity before Bridger, um, a native Gaelic speaker from the Isle of Skye, became part of their more recent rival. Uh, Isle of Skye, that's cool. Um, I like, you know, it it is really droney because of, like, the nature of the instrument, which leads it to feel more like kind of ambient experimental music in the way that she's doing it. Um, But it is also still kind of, feeling like traditional sorts of reels and it has upbeat yeah. parts to it. So it's kind of that interesting bridge between the two. Yeah, like the, the reviews call it like avant-garde and experimental, but like my my grandmother would have loved this album. She like she was yeah, a, that's cool. She was a big piping enthusiast. Um mm. and like this kind of thing would have like just would have set her heart ablaze kind of thing. And you know, the the Scottish part of that's it at cool. the very least. Um the saxophonist is Colin Stetson. Yeah. So she did stuff with Arcade Fire. She has a, Miss Campbell has a habit of featuring fairly renowned musicians. So I think on her first album that we talked about yonks ago, she had one of the mm. other like famous Highland Pipers who was a, was an old madam in like her eighties or nineties at the time. Um, and it's mm. kind of this like, she likes to involve these kind of other elements to, to contemporize or um, popularize, I guess would be the word. Um, Mm. Yeah. And I'm realizing that Colin Stetson is the guy who wrote hereditary soundtrack. That's crazy. And I've been listening to someone else put me on to one of his most recent albums that came out this year when we were that wet, what wept for the seat. Okay. Have you heard about it? No. Mm. We'll come back to that. All right. (laughs) Let's come back to that. (laughs) Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. So I, I, like I said, I've been doing a lot of listening, but not a lot of digging. That's fine. Hearing it live right now. That's fine. That's I'm, cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I thought you might. Yeah, I love it. Because it has the experimental, like it's, the bagpipes are kind of like the the Celtic version of the organ. And so I think when you have these like loving, you know, these talk about organ pieces that we used to do, um, yeah. it's kind of it's similar in that vein. I thought you might yeah. like it. 
Yeah, it does feel, yeah, it does feel very or reedy. Yeah, and that's cool. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Very cool. All right. Well, I have, um, should we move on to the homework that I gave you? We got some interesting <laughs> music on this album, man. I'm telling you. On this album or uh, this, on the, uh, on the episode. What, episode? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I gave Josh um, one that I've just had on my list for a while. And I thought maybe now was the time. I'm not a big Bjork fan or Bjork, how you say it. Bjork. Um, but I really have enjoyed this album, Medulla. Now, Medulla is maybe a bit of a standout in her discography. She is a singer, but this one is pretty much completely a cappella, you know, beatboxing, all sorts of vocal sounds and effects. And um, it's the one that's attracted me the most to her work. Mm. So I thought I'd give Josh a little go at Bjork's Medulla. What do you think of this album? Yes. So I have listened to a, a little bit of Bjork before. Um, I think it's like her third album, which is more jazzy. Um uh, okay. Yep. Is that the one with, um, it's also, fall in love yeah, it's also quiet. Um, yep. <clears throat> but that was a long time oh, ago. Post. Um, yeah, post. So this album's kind of wild. I, uh, I mean, that's shocking that a, a Bjork album is wild. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. She, I mean, she's a really interesting musician where like, um, I know that this doesn't make a lot of sense, but like nothing ever happens by accident. Like everything's really intentional mm. with how she does stuff. Um, and so she kind of sets out to make this album. And so you have uh, her vocals, you have like the human soundboard and you have the beatboxing and then sometimes some synths. Um, Mm. And they kind of combine together to make this really intimate experience where a lot of the time um, her vocals are very front and center. And even like, like they're not mastered perfectly. Like there's some peaking, there's some extra compression mm. that's kind of like um, makes it kind of sound fuzzy, but it gets to the impression of her like singing like right next to your face sometimes. Like she's yeah. like, she's like <laughs> right there. And you're like, you know, a little too close, Bjork. A little, a little too close. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting. I um, uh, it was a weird intersection where I um, I recognized the beatboxer almost immediately. Um, oh, him being a guy called Razel, who I used to listen to when I was like fifteen, um, who was a member of the Roots, the hip hop band, the Roots. Um, okay. He had like a number of like really famous beatbox albums on like LimeWire and Napster when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really strange to hear this kind of crossover. <laughs> um, and so I think, uh, which one? Who, uh, who is it? Is, yeah. is definitely a standout on this album. Yes. Um, it's kind of the best parts of both where you get the the singing, the really interesting um, instrumentation along with the beatboxing. And they kind of come together with uh, Bjork's like talent for musicality and, you know, chord structure and that kind of stuff. 
Um, it really mm. just it, it, it meets in such a the most approachable song, but also like probably the best on the album. Um, yeah. Interestingly, the music video version has a slightly different instrumentation. Yeah, like I noticed a little that. bit more. Yeah, I, which I feel like misses out on the point of medulla, but still, both versions are quite beautiful. And yes, it's probably the most catchy of the melodies <laughs> for the chorus. And not saying that that's like a bad thing. I really love it. It's one of my favorites too. And it gets in my head. Yeah. I get it going over and over again. And, but even with like, you know, the first part, who is it? Da, 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 da. Um, but the next part of the chorus, um, kind of the melody is not where you expect it to go. Yeah. Like it's really not typical as well. So it's both catchy and still experimental in her, <laughs> yeah, her way. Yeah. So I, I think it exemplifies the best of like the, this album, which is very interesting, kind of works the best when you kind of get past its presentation and you can kind of get to the music behind it. And some of the songs do that better than others. Like who is it or the last track in the album or the first track in the album that kind of, yeah. um, they managed to get you past that a little bit better. <clears throat> the first track, I understand that uncomfortable feeling of being too close because <laughs> she's making all sorts of strange sounds with her voice. And you're just a little bit like, Hmm. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and I read like she, um, after making this album was like, I can never perform this live. It's so complicated. And, mm. um, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of good in some, some ways. Um, I think we need more like studio, studio albums that are like really, really push the brink of what can be done live yeah. to some degree. Um, and I think it's, yeah, I don't, like I kind of wish like I knew more about her discography that I could like compare this to other things because this apparently this is a standout like you said and I don't really know how or why necessarily. Um, yeah, uh, for me when I've heard, heard Bjork, I just get a little bit kind of like the songs all felt very unconnected from each other, huh. like. Um, to me, like when I've listened through something and the genres or the style of which she's doing her song doesn't always grab me, but I, I felt like this just being a voice, like it was a consistent tone and a consistent genre and feel like it had enough connection between the songs that I could kind of like enjoy it as a, an album. Yeah. And, so, and well, it's interesting because yeah. probably the most, um, the most recognizable thing about Bjork as a musician is her voice. Like you can, um, yeah. you can tell it's her when she sings and to kind of transform that into, um, another instrument of itself is kind of an interesting experiment of like, like where does the singer's kind of voice end up if you make it into, you know, uh, a synth pad of a number of different notes kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I find amazing about her is how dry her vocal is. Like it's not, it's not prettied up on some of the songs. Like, mm. you know, it's very, like you say, very close, sometimes peaking. You know, she's like all the 
over-pronunciation, over-singing like her style is. And she's just really comfortable with that. Um, I have to read you this funny quote I just saw on Wiki. It's like, this is Bjork describing the sound of Mandula. She quotes, everybody was going, oh, she's making a vocal album. It'll be horrible, Yoko ex- a Yoko Ono experience. <laughs> but I wanted to show that a vocal album doesn't have to be cho- for a chosen few. It was just about working with the instrument I know best, my voice. Mm. That makes yeah. sense. So, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I thought that was really interesting. It's so very, it's very un it too. Yeah. Um, cool. Should we move on to honorable mentions? Yeah. All right, let's go. Um, so I was mentioning to you just in texts um, about interesting kind of uh, um, uh, media I've been listening to, reading. So um, <laughs> so I started reading uh, House of Leaves and we were chatting about that a little bit. My connection to this is... <laughs> I know it's this a, isn't a book way. podcast, Asher. <laughs> I know it's not a book podcast. Let me get there. So the only the reason why how I heard about this book was through a Doom mod, and I was talking about that too. Like, there's this someone made this mod called My House, and it's based on the House of Leaves and some of the ideas in it. But I wanted to just talk about some of the music in that game, um, <laughs> because it kind of has related to the book as I read it. Um, and also I think it was one of the reasons why I started listening to everywhere at the end of time. Like, I don't know why, but that book and the game kind of make me feel like I want to listen to very long degrading pieces of music. So (laughs) who knows? Um, I, so one part in the doom mod, you know, you go from these typical like MIDI sounds that are, are 1996, to when something changes and part of the, you know, the game changes and the the house changes, they bring in like ambient music, but like kind of this weird soundscape by this person called Isulfortium. I don't know. And this piece is like an eight minute ambient piece called Memory Entry. And it's, I just found it quite beautiful and interesting because it actually is a slowed down version of like an old doom MIDI track that's been kind of skewed and, and messed with. And it's very beautiful in parts. Other parts are quite creepy, but it's, it's done really well. And I just have found just this single track quite interesting um, in relation to the game, the book. So it's just all tied up together. Sorry. Book review time. That's fine. Um, I I will will say, uh, I will talk about the book a little bit as well because the yeah. um, no spoilers. I'm only like <laughs> the first chapters. No, in. no spoilers. I, I think the 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 book, the, the concept of the book House of Leaves, is a really interesting observation of postmodern media, where the mm. experience of reading the book is really what you're doing. Like the book isn't that substantive in like its story, but as you read it, it evolves with you. And so, yes, um, it breaks the bounds of just reading text. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a piece of postmodern literature in that mm. kind of like the extreme of the word. And so it's kind of yeah. interesting that you found like a, 
like a video game and like a musical thing that kind of go along with that because it kind of it, it, it it's not out of spirit with what the book's project is like yeah like if you were to read like lord of the rings and like listen to the soundtrack of the movie the whole time like it wouldn't quite work necessarily um mm. but this is kind of a, a different project that those kind of things can line up next to each other well and yeah yeah and to to give context the game the doom mod is trying to do what the book is doing yeah um because this house it's just an unassuming level of a house that is far far more conv- convoluted and complicated than it appears and on the surface it seems like you know a 1996 game but it it uses media and like stuff that is far deeper and you know i, I don't don't know how to say it but like you know doors do not lead where they should or they could and this matches up with the idea of it. And so it's using a, a very well-known, I suppose, standard, real sort of thing and then going far, far deeper with it. So, mm. yeah, I, I get that it's the appropriate um, media to match up with this odd book. And, like, that's why I had to buy a physical copy of House of Leaves because I oh, yeah. knew that just reading it on Kindle would not work. <laughs> you, need, you need the colours and the pictures. Yep, for sure. Yeah, so anyway, um, that's an odd one. But, yeah, um, <laughs> also Slow Dive have released two tracks mm. and you enjoyed the second one more than the first. Yeah. I kind of enjoyed both. You I, want I to mean, tell me about that? I mean, I must admit it's the wrong season for uh, <laughs> for that kind of music around these parts of the moment. I. It's always raining in the, the UK, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I I enjoyed. I I feel like the second track. I didn't like pay a huge amount of attention because I'm kind of just waiting for the album. Um, yeah. I think it moved a bit more, which is what I obviously enjoy. Um, like tra- traditional, uh, shoegaze music can have a habit of, um, staying in one place for a really long time, and mm. um, I like it when bands kind of don't do that and kind of move a bit more. And I think Slow Dive have a habit of doing that, which is why I enjoyed the second one a bit more. Yeah, it was quite different than the first. The first one is kind of a bit of a predictable structure, but the second one was like, oh, oh yeah, I didn't expect it to go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm excited about it, though. Um, and last one, uh, Carol Cleveland Sings, I gave you as homework yes um a few weeks back um they've recently put up some new stuff on streaming um for the first time in a long time so they've been right making like lots of short instagram songs but they've actually kind of put out some pieces um on streaming and they're quite interesting they're they're like very classical like they've got the swan and they've got uh, Gimopede number one. So, oh, like, they've got these, oh, okay. yeah, interesting kind of pieces done in curious kind of kitschy ways. So, anyway, just thought I'd promote that because it's cool stuff. And, yeah. Oh, should I mention everywhere at the end of Bikini Bottom? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, I haven't really listened to it, but it just made me laugh. <laughs> anyway, I'll stop. You go. <laughs> I'm just trying to wrap my head around 
Even though PDA number one is a on xylophone, <laughs> but anyways, it's yeah, 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 beautiful piece of music. Um, well, you crossed up one of mine, so no slow dive. Uh, okay, cool. Um, so Queens of the Stone Age have put out a new album. Um, oh, cool! And uh, their transformation into being more and more in line with David Bowie is seemingly coming true. Um, it's very interesting for me. So their last album called Villains um, was really poppy, and it was produced by a guy called Mark Ronson, who you may know. He does stuff with um, uh, like Amy Winehouse or who's the guy who did Grenade? Bruno Mars. Like He does all these like pop singers. <laughs> um, and so he produced this Queens of the Stone Age album. And it was really, um, it's really thin, the production. And so people didn't enjoy it a whole bunch. But the songs on them are still kind of these kind of pop rock crossover jams. And so this new album is similar in the vein where it's kind of funky, kind of like David Bowie in the 80s, kind of dancey with this like still kind of hard rock tinge to it. It's really, it's a really strange crossover, but... Um, hmm. they make it work, and in know, Times New Roman, yeah, I like that title. Um, and so Queens of the Stone Age kind of in this new phase of their life where they're kind of doing stuff, and they've been like playing, um, across Europe for all these festivals, and they've just been doing dynamite shows. Um, so they're kind of in a in a good spot at the moment, I guess. So it's kind of interesting that this album did that for them. Um, That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I remember you mentioning that we're performing it. Is it Glastonbury? They did Glastonbury, was, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sweet. Okay, second. I don't know how I found this album. I found it on Bandcamp, I think. Um, it's an album by a band called The Moon Bros. Um, it's called The Wheel. It's like a five-track EP of um, like lyrical, oh, yeah. like lyricless country through. music. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had a listen. It was quite pretty. I, I have this like urge in the summertime for like more kind of Americana, folk, bluegrass kind of music. Um, I don't like mainstream country for very obvious reasons. Um, but I love the roots that country comes from. And I've been kind of really desperately wanting an album um, kind of like, um, what's that? Um, Big Thief, like Dragon Mountain, We Believe in You mm. from last year. Yeah. So something in that kind of vein. Um, and this has been like a little bit of a palette um, a, a feeder for that. So this is like a five-check EP. There's almost no singing on it. And it's just kind of a guy um, and maybe a couple other people like strumming around on banjos and guitars in these kind of like um, not hugely structured country songs. Um, but I just, I don't know. I put it on and I enjoy it when it's hot. Kind of thing. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing how much how you, we're back to our pairings of weather and music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I could write an essay on the effect of weather on music, but in um, usually when summers are really hot in places, that's one of the catalysts for um, punk music exploding. Um, hmm. Like the summer of 77 in England, which is where like a lot of punk music came from around that area is one of the hotter summers in the seventies. 
um, for the country. It's kind mm. of like task. Anyway, it's so I agree with you because when I was living in Vancouver, that's when I started writing more and more ambient stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, third, uh, this is a pairing. So, um, Australian hip hop artist TK Maisda and Australian electronic producer Flume. You might know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know Meister, but I know Flume. Yeah, so TK Meister is a really, she, she's a, I shouldn't say up and comer. She's kind of established herself, but she's a very, very interesting um, rapper, hip hop artist out of Australia. And she had a couple great songs and a couple really interesting COVID albums. I think it's called the, like, Times Are Weird or something like that. I forget what they're actually called. Um, anyway, they put out a single together and. Um, you know how like Flume's kind of uh glitch kind of electronic really like it, it rides that line of like horrifically abrasive but like also like a really groovy and it makes like a really interesting backdrop for a hip hop song, in my opinion. It's a really interesting pairing. Yeah. So, um I don't know tons of his work, but yeah, I get that vibe. Yeah. Um and then last but not least um, our favorite Philly band, Slaughter Beach Dog, have announced yes. a new album. Um, mm-hmm. A track or two. I, again, I'm trying not to. I'm in this phase of my life where, like, I'm trying not to listen to singles too much because I think I um, overdo them before albums come out. But I'm excited yeah. that Jake and his band are putting out more music. Um, it's it's fun to have a band that's like your relative age. And so when they make music, you're mm. like, oh, yeah, I feel like this is kind of made for me a little bit. And I'm, I'm right there with yep. it kind of thing. So it's fun to have that. In a, um, Crying, laughing, waving, smiling. Yeah. It's a nice title. Um, so any, hopefully, if they tour and come to Vancouver again, they don't get COVID so I can actually see them this time. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm excited for that to come out. I love they've got on their Bandcamp page, there's a CD version and I love the comment. It's like, plays stunningly in whatever you've got that still plays CDs. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Those are my nice. own mentions. That's everything, right? Sweet. I think that is everything. Do you want to take us out? Got <coughs> um, to prep. Yeah. Well, that's us. Thank <coughs> you for listening to uh, what we're listening to, episode When I'm 64 by Paul McCartney. Um, <laughs> should have done a, should have done a quiz about that. I don't know why you didn't. Well, I did so um, yes, oh, my brain. Um, we again, what we're listening to, you can find us on socials like Instagram and Twitter, mm-hmm. and I think even Facebook, though we have long abandoned that. Um, yes, yeah, us. Uh, feel free to leave us a rating and review on your mm-hmm. podcast listening app of choice that helps us um, appease the almighty algorithm and feed us to new ears potentially um share us around and if you like you can contact us and leave us maybe um a suggestion of what to review we love hearing you know what's going on we don't know all the music that's coming out it's kind of impossible to um we also have a website where the playlists go if you want to actually listen to what we've been talking Mm -hmm. about rather than finding it yourself we've done the work and we put it up there for you so you can have a look um other than that thank you for listening And we'll see you next time. See you, buddy. See you around, man. Yeah.